Welcome to Last in Line Podcast, where we are highlighting, showcasing, and spotlighting great leaders of faith who have overcome adversity, cultivated resilience, and served others in a significant capacity. So settle in and be encouraged by this episode of Last in Line Podcast. At war spiritually. If you haven't ever quite fully comprehended that or understood how to approach that battle and tactically, strategically engage in that war, I've created a simple handbook, guidebook, roadmap that is straightforward, simple, short, but it's extremely useful and might serve you in this battle of spiritual warfare. It's called Operation 333, The Little Black Book on Strategic Spiritual Warfare. Grab a copy today. We are honored to have Pierce Green from the Authentic Manhood Initiative and the one of the founders of the the series called 33 uh Tierce is a longtime teacher speaker coach writer consultant for disciple making strategies he spent a lot of time here in Texas at the Woodlands Church one of the mega churches in the country uh rolling out teachings for men the the quest for authentic manhood men's fraternity you know those he is the director of Good Feed Media, creating quality content that is freely available on the Good Feed Media app. Tears speaks for a variety of groups and events from a few dozen to a few thousand. Many of the events are associated with groups that are exploring the principles of biblical manhood. He also speaks for leadership training events, conferences, retreats, and church gatherings. Tears and I discuss what authentic manhood looks like based on the perfect model that was Jesus, where we are in the church for men's discipleship, how we can get better, what the church needs, what men need, the materials and resources that Tierce is very instrumental in creating and deploying resources for guys to get better and grow in spiritually, grow in community with one another, to sharpen each other. He uh, created Good Feed Media, and that app is is available uh, for people to just access all kinds of materials, a lot of free materials too. So I welcome you to go explore those uh, the app, his website, tearscreen uh, com, and we're going to put some notes, uh, some links in the show notes. But I am excited. I've known tears from kind of a distance for a little bit when we first moved to Texas and then I kind of lost track but brought him back on here to figure out where he thinks the the most need is the biggest vacancy the biggest deficiency in men's ministry in the church and in our community so with that help me welcome tear screen to last in line Tears Green, welcome to Last in Line Podcast. Good to have you here. Yeah, thanks, John. Great to see you again after all these years. <laughs> it's been a little bit. So whenever, you know, I looked you up recently because, of course, I see your stuff uh, periodically. And I don't know if I just kind of got under a rock or in a cave for a few years, but <laughs> we we first crossed paths at Fellowship of the Woodlands now Woodlands Church, uh, Carrie Shook, and you were leading the Authentic Manhood, Quest for Authentic Manhood, Men's Fraternity, uh, Men's Group. And I just moved to Texas, and I was looking for that group to connect with and really start growing more spiritually. And that thing hit me in a season that was perfect timing. So for that, I want to thank you 15 years later. Appreciate it. Oh, man, my my pleasure. Uh, you know, I keep running into guys just like you or who, who are in the room with us that uh, it was just a, a turning point for all of us, um, for me too. I mean, I, I was just kind of building the plane in the air, watching all these men respond to these timeless biblical principles. And so it was equally good for me. Well, good, good, man. And, and you know, a good thing never dies and, and masculinity and discipleship and a lot has changed in culture from where we were back then, but a lot of the same principles will definitely bail us out of this situation we're in uh, because those principles never, you know, never go away, never get stale. They don't have a shelf life. So today I want to talk a lot about that with you about discipleship, 
men and leadership and how we are going to get the ship righted again uh, in culture and in society. So before we do that, though, I have to have to have a little fun first. Um, I, I call it I call it a little bit of a dessert before dinner. And I'm going to ask you what you want to be, what you would consider to be a walk away win for the guys listening to this. If you were to walk by a group of guys that listen to this podcast with you and I, and you overhear what they're talking about, what do you want that to sound like? Yeah. Uh, I want to hear guys talking about uh, not so much what, what they heard in a podcast or what they heard in some event they went to, but man, when I was talking to my son, you know, the conversation just steered around this or, you know, the other day when my wife and I were kind of having to make a decision about our kids or our, you know, a change of career or whatever, you know, and to hear those biblical principles integrated into those conversations with a son or a daughter or a wife or a brother or a sister or with my boss at work, to me, that that's the real win is mm-hmm. not, wow, that was a great session we went to, a great curriculum we studied, uh, you know, but man, this principle is being applied, you know, in real life situations. Yeah. And that's what I, I'm sure you hear that a lot because you have created your share of curriculum. And I know, forgive me if I use the word new, but it's new to me, but your, your media, the, the, uh, good feed media, yeah. uh, is a thing. And, and that's a, that's something you created. I mean, you've got a lot of resources we're going to tap into, but I do want to, uh, have you, uh, I'm going to give you a life sentence here. We're going to not to be, not to be morbidly bleak, but the life sentence in this context is you're going to finish the sentence for me. Okay. I'm going to give you a sentence and this is you talking and you're going to finish it. I got three or four of these. So this is going to help the audience understand you a little bit behind the curtain of tear screen. So the main reason men struggle to lead like Jesus is. Uh, they haven't seen a good example of what that looks like. Uh, I know that, uh, and, and that would be the end of the sentence, but to clarify that, I didn't see that growing up. You know, my mm-hmm. dad was a ghost when he was alive. And so I was just kind of guessing. It wasn't until in my uh, my 20s, after I became a follower of Christ, that I began to see what it looks like. And I, uh, you know, I, I still struggle, but I had a picture of it. I think the reason a lot of guys struggle with leading is they just haven't seen a clear picture of what it looks like. That's a great point. And, and I'm going to use probably steal your uh, line of, of building the plane in the air. Cause that sometimes feels like that's mm-hmm. what we're doing as men, as leaders. Uh, I feel like that maybe we are doing a version of that. All right, here's number two. Uh, in my early days as a Christian, I wish someone would have told me. Uh, man, uh, th- that one's easy. I-, I wish someone would have told me that I could still be friends with people who aren't Christians. Cause I'd kind of <laughs> grown up in a church that made you think, you know, it- it's like us against them. And mm. once you become a follower of Christ, now you live on, on this planet called Christians and you're not to associate with uh, with all those other people. And that is absolutely contrary to who Jesus is. I mean, mm. he was a friend of sinners. And so it wasn't until, you know, in my late 20s and really early 30s uh, that I began to figure out, uh, you know, if I don't have any friends who aren't followers of Jesus, I'm not much like Jesus because he was a friend wow. of all these people who hadn't figured it out yet. That's a great point. Uh, I I bought into that myth uh, early on, too, and I don't know that anyone ever told me that. I think I just assumed that I'm I'm different now, so I need to be around all those people that are different with me and not around. Cause I think we feel like if we go around, not to say we hang out in the same places that we used to before Christ, right. but the people that we associated with don't have to be strangers all of a sudden overnight. In fact, I think it might be the, <laughs> we might be called to be the opposite of that and call people into the fold, into our kingdom. And that's what, like you said, that's what he did. And I'm watching, I'm watching the shows and I'm a little late bloomer when it comes to that. And I'm in the third season, but I mean, I finally have a real picture of what Jesus did in that regard, like you're talking about. If you understand how detested tax collectors were in those days and to to, so, to see Matthew's journey, like it's just it it 
gives you a whole new lens to see what Jesus did in those times. Um, all right. Yeah. But yeah, well, I, we need to be smart uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, if there's some serious struggles that we're yeah. having, like just because we put our faith in Jesus doesn't mean that, you know, all our habits and issues are washed away. Mm-hmm. Our sins are taken care of, but you know, I, I was, uh, I, I know that I have some tendencies and early yeah. on, yeah, I needed to be careful with some of the people I hung out with because I'm not going to be able to help them from keep them from drowning because I didn't know how to swim well yet, you know, but, you know, I I think I overcorrected and went to the other extreme and just kind of isolated myself from them initially. Yeah. Yeah, true. All right, here we go. The key to quality discipleship is Uh, community uh, and, uh, you you know, processing uh, these timeless biblical principles, uh, together. Uh, I mean, we see that model with Jesus and his 12 disciples, and they just did life together for those three years. And, uh, and, and then that was the plan for the church, you know, just, uh, just, just being together and working it out together. Uh, you know, I, I've always said this, all of us are smarter than any one of us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you really are not following Jesus if you're isolating yourself from other, from other believers. We need community. Yeah, we do. The group sourced wisdom is definitely something uh, of value in today's world, especially because, um, you know, the isolated becomes the prey, uh, it seems like nowadays uh, and and always really has been. So here we go. Here's your final one. You're cooperating swimmingly. I appreciate it. You're you're doing a great (laughs) job here. All right, here we go. So the world would look different if men would simply understand blank huh. the world will look differently if man would simply understand good night there's so many uh, things i could say to finish that sentence i don't, I don't know that there's any one thing mm-hmm. uh, you know one of the slogans that i use with authentic manhood initiative is this uh, change men and change the world mm-hmm. and so I, I know it's not that simple but i do know that you know, if men would understand that if we would just accept responsibility for us and not thinking, well, what about my wife or what about my boss or what about, you know, the, the, the current administration? If we would just simply say, what has God given us? And if we would take responsibility and apply the gospel to us individually, regardless of what anybody else is doing, the world would begin to look differently. Because if if, if, if we truly allow God to change us, that's going to create a better environment around us for other people to begin to respond to the gospel. Yep. Yep. I mean, when a man, I think it's uh, Jim Ramos from the men in the arena that I've had on the podcast, he says, when a man gets it, everybody wins. And, mm-hmm. and so it, it, it is a true statement. And like you said, though, a lot of, a lot of guys don't have that physical model. Yes. We have the model of, Jesus and what perfection looks like, but tangibly in the natural here today in real time, some of us didn't have that. Uh, So you've created a lot of those resources to help us understand what that picture is and actually how to execute the plan back going back to those timeless, like you said, biblical principles that Jesus led by. But before we get into all the meat and potatoes, give us a backdrop, kind of your journey a little bit spiritually, um, professionally, Tell us kind of what, where you kind of started, how you evolved into, I know you worked at Fellowship uh, of the Woodlands for a while. Um, you know, I don't even know enough about you to know, are you technically a pastor, vocationally a pastor, <laughs> or are you just really well experienced and versed and knowledgeable in all this stuff? So give us a background. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm official. I can marry you or bury you, whichever one you there need. You go. You know? There we go. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, my story goes back to growing up in church in Alabama. It was just kind of the thing you did growing up in the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned, my dad was a ghost, and so he wasn't around. But my mom put her faith in Jesus a year before my dad died. Looking back, I can see this solid faith this this single mom had. And so she got me in church. I mean, that was just, I just knew. I, I didn't have to wonder where are we going this Sunday. I knew we were going to be in church. And so uh, because I was around, you know, the stories of Jesus and the gospel, uh, I just kind of did what I thought I was supposed to do. And I got baptized 
because my cousin got baptized and became a part of the church. But I was not a follower of Jesus. I was just trying to be a, you know, a good young, young man uh, going to church. Uh, what happened was all that church without a relationship with Christ just kind of hardens your heart. And uh, plus, I saw a lot of things in church that began to turn me off to real Christianity. You know, growing up in the South in the in the 60s, that was my story. I mean, man, racial uh, prejudice was strong. And some of the most racial, racist people I knew were men in the church. Mm. And so I'm thinking, OK, this doesn't make sense to me. Uh, and so when I graduated from high school, uh, through my freshman year of college, I just ran as far away from God and church and Christians as I could. But I was having a, I had a summer job in Nashville, Tennessee. I was working in the music industry in Nashville and God just crossed my path with some true believers. And uh, they weren't perfect because none of us are, but they just genuinely loved God and loved others. And so it was through their their personal influence that I put my faith in Jesus. I was 19. I began to pray about my next steps and uh, transferred from University of Alabama to Samford University there in Birmingham. I began to, began to study music, which was kind of my background. I'm an old rock and roller growing up, okay. listening, to, listening to and playing Allman Brothers, Leonard Skinner, all, okay. all great. And so I've, I just figured now as a Christian, that's what I'll do. You know, I'll just be a Christian musician. But God quickly redirected me and I began to speak more and sing less. And uh, I was a student pastor for a short amount of time after college. Uh, but in, uh, uh, in 1980, uh, I began to pray and realize God was redirecting me. I moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, I was getting a lot of calls to come and speak for events and do th things. So I just moved to this uh, apartment in the Dallas area and waited for the phone to ring. And mm. it kept ringing for 25 years. And wow. one of those calls from, was from Fellowship of the Woodlands to come and speak for a couple of a few events. And so we're talking mega church, you know, gosh, how many thousand, 10, 12,000 people coming on the weekends. Mm. And so uh, they, they invited me to be a part of the team. Wasn't really interested. Uh, they, they were asking me to fill one position, but then they said we could really use some help with the men too. And I thought that rang my bell. Because mm -hmm. I've been impacted by something called uh, Men's Fraternity. Uh, and it was created by Robert Lewis from Little Rock, Arkansas. And it was just biblical manhood. And I said, well, what are y'all doing now? And they said, well, we got a Bible study for guys, about 100 guys. You know, 100 guys is great, but not in a church that has 12,000 people. Within. Yeah, yeah. And so I said, so can I retool this thing? They said, yeah, yeah you can do whatever you want to. With it. So that's when we launched the quest for authentic manhood. And I just promised we're going to study biblical manhood and we're going to learn how to apply these principles in the 21st century in South Texas. <laughs> 750 guys signed up Ooh. and I'm just, I'm just going, Oh my, what do we do with this? You know? And then the next, uh, the next year, a thousand guys. And we were averaging you know, on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Saturday morning, and a couple other areas around Houston, we were averaging a thousand guys every time we launched you know, uh, something and it just blowing me away. And so we used the men's fraternity uh, curriculum. I wrote some stuff, but then uh, we realized a lot of other guys who've been teaching men's fraternity realized it's really good, but we need to update it. And that was when 33, the series was born. We just kind of mapped it out. You know, we said, we're going to do six volumes, six sessions each. I had no idea they were going to invite me to be one of the creator presenters. Uh, for that. I'm not sure when you, you know, you came on board. Yeah, I was uh, there. Well, I was there in 08, um, most of 08. And then we joined a church closer to home here in Conroe up uh, at the Ark Church. But when did oh, you yeah. come out with the 33? Uh, so 33, volume one, there's six volumes. And we did two in one year, volume one and two in 2011 or 12. Yeah. Okay. And it was then after. we did volume three, four, five, and six, you know, each one, each, okay. you know, a year, uh, year, uh, the next four years after that. Okay. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Thank you for that timeline. Cause yeah, man, that's a, it sounds like it was a rocket ship through men's discipleship and the way that you became sort of this resource that was in demand because you could obviously see the world was hungry for 
something, right? Something to land the plane. Everybody knew this was needed. Everybody knew there was like this concept that was going to revolutionize manhood and biblical manhood, but to put this on the ground and put wheels on it and get it rolling, like that's, man, you were a part of something big. I mean, I know you know that, but I'm just starting to think about the size and the magnitude and how you would scale that thing. And it just took off. And now it's in churches all over the country. I have no doubt. Right. Yeah. Well, we've, uh, we've actually based on training, probably training guys that have been ordered worldwide, 3 million men plus 3 million men, which is amazing. However, I'm a realist. There are a hundred million men in America alone. So we haven't even scratched the surface. Uh, You know, most guys have never had these kind of substantive conversations about how, how to get, why did God create us? You know, what is our purpose? And so we've got a whole lot of work to do. Wow. Um, Yeah, I agree. So we're going to dive in. Um, This has been great already, but we're going to dive into what I, uh, you know, you, you say on, I think on your website is where that that manhood's in a state of crisis and you can look no further Mm -hmm. than, television, uh, social media, music. I mean, you can look no further than down the block in your neighbor's home, probably. Um, but you you have a statement, that, and I want you to maybe unpack this a little bit for them. You can feel the collateral damage in our families, our communities, and around the world. If there's pollution downstream, we need to go upstream to fix what is causing it. Man, I mean, that could probably, we could probably unpack that for an hour, but Give me Lord, like a thumbnail sketch as to kind of what you mean by that upstream. Yeah. Um, well, in God's design, you know, uh, he, he just holds men responsible. Now, he doesn't let women off the hook. Sure. OK, if you go back, if you go back to Genesis, when Adam and Eve chose against God and forced sin, I mean, their eyes are open. They're feeling guilty instead of running to God and saying, God, we messed up. How can we fix this? You know, Adam is now coming up with his own solution, you know, trying to cover themselves and hide from God. And then it's really curious. You know, God calls him out. He says, Adam, did you eat the fruit I told you not to? Now, if anybody knows this story, we know who ate the fruit first. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the woman. OK. Mm-hmm. And so uh, but God asked Adam. And now God wasn't clueless. He knew what had happened, but he held Adam responsible. Did you eat the fruit? And then Adam responded instead of saying, oh, God, you know, I messed up. I was I was asleep on on, on my post and I I blew it. You know, what can I do to make this right? (laughs) Adam said that woman you gave me. All right. now, Now, think about that. Okay, that's our nature. We never we rarely take responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault. It's either our wife's fault, our boss's fault, or like we mentioned, the current administration's fault, you know, but for a guy to say, you know, I don't really care what's going on around me. And there's a lot of stuff messed up around me. I want to start with me. And so if you look at the collateral damage downstream, let's go upstream. You know, Mm -hmm. you can, we need to keep treating the pollution downstream because man, if there's poison in the water, we need to, we need to treat it. You want to fix it though, go upstream. And figure out, well, who's dumping most of the pollution in the stream? And I believe as men, speaking as a guy, speaking for myself, yeah, I, I need to, I'm, I'm responsible for a lot of that. And so I want to, I want to fix what's wrong with me so there'll be less pollution uh, going downstream. Yep. Yep. Uh I mean, the downstream is great, but it's kind of a band-aid, right? I mean, it 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 definitely needs to be addressed, but if you can get mm-hmm. into where the hemorrhage is actually <laughs> yeah. originating from, right? Uh, yeah. Stop the bleed, I guess we call it. Um, yeah, no doubt. Well, you know, along those lines of masculinity and kind of to the point of the the poisoned water, I, I, I had this in my in my notes to ask. So, when did culture, in your opinion, when did culture? And we're not blaming culture, but I'm saying, let's say that the label that culture has put on masculinity. Okay, we've got toxic masculinity, and yes, there's various pockets of of guys that don't get it right because they are toxic but as a general rule now culture has kind of blanketed over all of men and and painted us as poison when did that happen like wh- how did that happen when did culture decide 
this is, you know, masculinity is bad and men aren't really men. We don't need men. Help me fill in those blanks. Yeah, well, uh, I, I can't give you a, a, a date, sure, a year. Sure. It seemed like it turned quickly. I mean, back in the day when you were in the room and we were teaching biblical manhood, we call it authentic manhood. Man, that resonated with people. But they're very quickly something shifted and now i am i am keenly aware that if i say the phrase authentic manhood man an alarm goes off because people automatically think you mean this oppressive patriarchal toxic thing and so as you said they've taken kind of all of manhood saying manhood itself is toxic that isn't true. I mean, there's some good kind. There, there's a, a good kind of manhood, the kind of manhood God created, uh, and it's not where the man is in charge. He is responsible, but he is a servant leader. Uh, I just did a wedding recently, and uh, you know, I'm talking about you know, men and women are equal. The Bible is clear about that. You know, a woman should never have to fight for her equality because the Bible says men and women are equal. However, men and women are different. And that's where we have a problem because we think, well, God's given the man a better role. And that's not the case. Uh, men were not awarded this position because we deserve anything. But by God's grace, the sovereign creator, he mm -hmm. designed us to be in a position of leadership. Uh, and and in, in the roles of men and women in Ephesians 5, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of people skip over verse 21 before it talks about husbands, you know, being the head and wives, you know, submitting and, and helping. It says, Ephesians 5, 21, submit yourselves one to another mm. out of reverence for Christ. Okay. So let me back up. Submit yourselves one to another. So we have this mutual submission. Okay. A lot of guys don't get that. And a lot of women don't get that because now it's not about who, you know, uh, equality. The, the battle is who's in charge. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have this attitude of submission and respect for each other. It's really who's in charge. You know, it's like you've had your turn. Now it's my turn. You step aside while I take my turn. You know, our, 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 our nature as humans is we're always overcorrecting. Yeah. You know, if, if something's wrong over here, man, we're going to peg over here to the right to try to fix it. Or we're going to peg over here to the left to try to mm -hmm. fix it. Man, there's a sweet spot here in the middle to where we're mutually submitting ourselves one to another in our separate roles. And there's, man, that, that's the way God designed us. So when did it change? Man, I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, 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 it ceased being a battle about equality and started to be a battle about, you know, who has the power? Yeah, yeah, it has. And and the Bible also, and I, I get the chapter and verse wrong, but uh, about outdoing each other with honor, too. You know, it's mm. it, that's, you know, lends itself to your point of just this mutual honor, mutual respect, mutual submission. So, yes, we are. There is equality, but there's not equity. Like my role right. is is carrying a different load than than a female's load. Right. And and so, right. you know, I wonder, did when I think about just kind of guys that are on this train of passivity, it just seems more glaringly obvious in the last five years, let's just say um, to me, but did it, did we get to a point where when culture just force fed this enough to us as men that we just kind of said, you know what, if that's what they want, that's what they get. And it, yeah. I'll stay, I'll kind of step back and, if you know, coach, if you're not going to play me, then I'm not even going to stand up in the dugout. I'm just going to sit here, right? So, talk about that. Maybe did did we allow that to enable our passivity, or was it something else? What do you even think we have an issue with passivity? Yeah, uh, I think for some guys, it, it was just ex exhaustion. It's like, okay, I, I give up. You know, mm -hmm. uh, afraid to um, you know hold the door open for a woman because. Sure. You're thinking, is she going to appreciate that, or is she going to, you know, just uh, be offended? Yeah, be offended because don't you think I can get my own door? You know, it's like <laughs> it's like she you know, I'm, not, I'm not really sure what I should do for you here. You know, I'm just do it. I, I mean, I'd hold the door open for some man sometime. I might sure. say, hey man, come on in, you first. You know, but for a guy to do that for a woman, you never know how she's going to respond. 
so we've we've overcorrected, you know, to the point. Right. And uh, uh, and so I, I think I think for a lot of guys, it's just exhaustion. Uh, the thing is, when when we uh, when as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we're not submitting to the other person out of weakness. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, we're submitting out of out of a, a position of strength. Our identity is in Christ. Mm-hmm. We we are we are secure because of what God says about us. That even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That. To those who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. So none of us deserve this. So it's like, man, I'm going to believe what God says about me. That's my identity. And so it's from that position of strength. I can serve you, not out of weakness, but out of strength. That's right. But but I think there are a lot of men who, you know, just did not know how to handle the, the pushback and the accusations, they, they just kind of felt like, ah, what's the use, you know, yeah. rather than just kind of listening and just trying to figure out, you know, uh, saying, you know, I hear what you're saying, but that's not God's design for manhood. He never designed us to be oppressive. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of disarming when I have that conversation because they're yeah. thinking, okay, you're a guy and you're saying that, you know, that's not your role. And so of course it's not my role. God didn't yeah. design men to lead like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Our, our model is Jesus. And, and, but some people hear that and they say, Oh, Jesus. Well, he was a pacifist. <laughs> right. No, he wasn't. No. No. I mean, when it came time to go toe to toe with the religious leaders, man, he pulled no punches, you know. Yeah. But right. he also was secure enough to uh, wash the feet of these disciples, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. most who would, desert him, one who would deny him, one who would betray him. Uh, he was able to have a conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well, knowing she had five, had five husbands, living with a guy who wasn't her husband, but yeah. he didn't rub her nose in her sin. He, he affirmed her and offered her living water. You know? That's right. And so I think a lot of people just don't really know who Jesus is. They have a caricature of yeah. Jesus. That's right. No, that's good. Um, yeah, we when we talk about masculinity and and you know, we talk about how somehow it feels like we've created, or I don't know about we, but someone created this, the need for, I don't know if it's effeminate men, if it's men who are just passive, if it's, we're trying to appear to be uh, in the equality camp so much that we've, like you said, overcorrected. And now we're just a bunch of guys in skinny jeans, you know, uh, and, and front tucks. I don't know. And so I, I, I kind of want to evolve this to the church, you know, the statistics are there that there's more women in church than men. I mean, that's just, that's a statistic um, generally speaking. So did, did passivity and did some of this masculinity, um, murkiness did it get to the pulpit in your opinion is there are are there pastors that are afraid to kind of talk about masculinity or talk about these polarizing issues from the pulpit is there is that have anything to do with one or the other yeah i, th- I think um there's a thread running through all of that uh, i think um uh, i think for a lot of churches for whatever reason men were absent they were mia uh and women just stepped up you know, mm-hmm. like I look at, uh, you know, my mom. Okay, my dad was MIA, you know, mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. husband and as a father. And so my single mom, you know, she had to step into a leadership role. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Now, that was not God's design, but in this broken world we live in, by his grace, women can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for, in a lot of churches, there were too many, many men that were missing in action for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, there were women to step up. But in those women stepping up, church began to be over feminized. Yeah. And so it was, you know, songs began to be more touchy feely. And so, you know, th- there's nothing wrong with that, inherently wrong. But you get a guy into that kind of touchy feely kind of thing, and he's, he doesn't know what to do with that, you know. Right, right. And so uh, there are a lot of pastors who didn't know how to balance things out. Uh, and what you see with some pastors is they see this crisis of manhood and they see churches that are over feminized and they come in, man, like a, like a bulldog, 
you know, and it's like, they're going to fix this. And so you get these pastors who are sticking their chest out, you know, and they're, 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 they're just got this arrogant way about them. And I'm thinking, oh, once again, you're over, overcorrect. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not representing Jesus. Like I went to a men's retreat one time and I was one of the guys, you know, that was speaking and just before me was a guy and I love this guy. He's so passionate, but, but he, he made, he made it sound like uh, manhood sound like your manhood was determined by the, the kind of truck you drove. He said, I could sure. tell this was a men's retreat because of all the trucks and gun racks. And I thought, dang, I'm going to have to sneak out of here. I'm driving my daughter's Subaru Crosstrek. <laughs> and so, we, you know, we, we've reduced manhood to what you wear, you don't wear, what you drive, you don't drive. And so there are some pastors who don't know how to communicate, you know. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and so, I'm man, I, I haven't mastered that, but I'm trying yeah. to figure out, you know, how do I present it accurately? Uh, and yeah. one of the best ways is just to tell the story of Jesus, who he is really in every situation. Yeah. So people can see the full picture of who God is. Yeah. In Jesus. yeah. And we're better off. I mean, we can't lose by taking ourselves out of the equation and inserting mm -hmm. him. Right. Because right. that's the standard anyway. It, it can't be about mm -hmm. our opinion because those things are going to ebb and flow and, and culture is going to sway. But so if you were talking to, let's go back to that group of pastors you were just talking about with, not the ones that overcompensate and wear a shirt that's two sizes too small just so they can show their pecs. But the the other group, let's or if you could talk to them about how to, or I guess talk to both groups. How do we get in the middle? You meant yeah. you mentioned a sweet spot. Talk to a group, let's just say of pastors, if you're in a room with them right now, how do we maybe articulate or paint a picture of that sweet spot of masculinity and guys' roles back in the church where where they belong? Yeah. Uh so uh, some, sometimes we, we, uh, misrepresent what it really means to be, uh, uh, sincere followers of Jesus. It's it, instead of it being really spirituality, it's more of personality hmm. and some people's personality are, you know, the type A, the kind of driven hmm. people. And, you know, that's good. Uh, there's some rough edges that need to be smoothed off. Then there's some mm -hmm. that are on the other extreme, a little more melancholic, a little more artistic. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good, but there's some parts there that need to be tightened up a little bit. And so whenever you do a personality test, it's like, okay, we're not trying to get you to change you from melancholic to this type A kind of driven guy. Mm -hmm. And we're not trying to take the type, the driven guy and turn him into a real soft guy who, likes ballet and, you know, folk songs, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but it, I think it's like getting all the guys in the room and, and listening to their stories. And so, you know, you may have this guy who's really kind of hard, really rough around the edges. and He's the athlete. He's the driven guy. He's the entrepreneur. And, and, you know, he's telling his story, but then he hears from another guy over here who is a little more, you know, compassionate and kind and caring and, he does a lot of things behind the scene. As those two guys tell their stories, each one is going to draw the other one more toward the middle. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, you know, the guy who's driven and, and, and always loud. Well, he needs to learn how to tone it down a little bit. Sure. You know, and listen more. And the guy who's more compassionate and kind in the background. Well, he needs to be able to step up a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah. and so, uh, you know, but we're all going to be different. You know, I'm not. I'm not you, you're not me, but man, it's just beautiful when you get all these different guys in the room together. That's why community is so important mm -hmm. is everybody's in the room together and we're learning from each other's differences. Yeah. And that, and that's why it's important that, you know, your, your resources give them that safe place to land and kind of that middle ground that we all can agree on this thing right here, mm -hmm. you know, this right. Jesus, this, this, mm -hmm his standard of masculinity. So, all right. I think, you know, I, I think I beat the horse of masculinity enough and, and put you on the hot seat enough and you, you did awesome as usual. So uh, I do want to transition to discipleship because that really, I feel like is what stirs me up. And um, it's what drew me to, you know, getting enrolled in the, the man, the authentic manhood class and, and the curriculum and go through that. And, Man, I've written some of my own curriculum uh, when it comes to just kind of group studies and journaling and devotionals. And uh, 
when, how did you get involved? I, I mean, I guess you got asked to come speak um, at, I don't know, was it one of Robert Lewis's events? And then you kind of, how did you get, how did you evolve into this authentic manhood initiative from Robert's, you know, I'm assuming. Yeah, his original stuff. Label. Yeah. yeah. So, so I had a, a good friend, long time friend. He, he's like my, my best friend since college. I mean, we have, we just have this, this unfiltered relationship. I'm better because of his friendship. I know he's better because of mine. Mm. And he had been impacted by Robert Lewis in there in Little Rock. My buddy's from Little Rock. And he says, Hey man, this guy's saying some things in a way I've never heard it said before. You ought to listen. And so I listened to the cassette tapes. Anybody remember cassette tapes? Oh, yeah. And I'm listening and man, I am taking notes. I mean, I've never heard it said like this before. I mean, it was real. It wasn't overcorrected. It just made sense. And so uh, when I was invited to come to uh, Woodlands Church, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just took Robert's material and I just taught it, ran it through my heart, my head, my life, and I taught it live. And we saw, you know, hundreds of guys impacted. When it came time to create 33, because of what we had experienced, I was just one of the guys who was invited to be in the room. Mm. And so, you know, uh, I'm just kind of sharing, well, here's what we saw. Here's what we learned. Here's what we think works. And then from that, you know, it was like, well, we need with 33, there, there are three primary percenters. OK, there's John Bryson, uh, Brian Carter and myself. And they were looking for three guys from three different seasons of life. And so at the time, Brian Carter was in his 30s, uh, pastor of a predominantly uh, black church in Dallas. Uh, uh, John Bryson was in his 40s, uh, pastor of an urban church in Memphis. And I'm the seasoned white guy from the suburbs. You know? yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I was I was in my 50s at the time when we started. And so that was how we got together. And so yeah. all three of us had just been teaching Robert's material. And, uh, you know, we weren't just teaching it from the stage. I mean, we were living it. We were personally impacted by it. Mm-hmm. And so it was not curriculum that we were teaching. I mean, it was like, these are life principles. They, they work for me and we've seen it work for hundreds of guys. That's, that's, I mean, that's great. I wonder too, because, um, we had, we had the, uh, CEO of better man. I don't know if you're familiar oh, because yeah, it's yeah. kind of a spin, you know, it was the Robert Lewis kind of handed it off to Chris Harper and I don't know if you know Chris or not, but he's been on the podcast and he's a great man. And, and man, you guys, I know you guys overlap a lot um, in what you're doing with discipleship. So that's a great, it's a great uh, alignment there. Uh, did, did you always have this as a passion of yours or just seeing, being a, a vessel by which men grow spiritually and in community? Did you always see yourself as that? I mean, you were a musician by trade that became a speaker, but do you consider yourself a teacher? I mean, is that your, one of your gifts? Clearly it is, but how did you feel like that fire was in you for this? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, right after I put my faith in Jesus, I, I mean, I've got, got a guitar strapped around my neck and I just began yeah. to, you know, write songs about my faith. Mm. Uh, and I would lead worship for events. And then, you know, one event came up and a guy said, uh, so if you'll leave worship for us and could you do the morning Bible study? And I went, okay. And so I just kind of jumped into that. And then as I began to teach more, uh, I mean, I began to really be as comfortable with that as I was, you know, writing yeah. songs and, and leading worship. Uh, and then as time went on, uh, you know, uh, you know, it was like, instead of doing both, it was like, can you come and just be the main speaker for this? Right. And so for me, it wasn't uh, so much taking a spiritual gifts test. Those are fine. But it's kind of like a Myers-Briggs thing. It's like, okay, it can reveal some stuff, but don't let it right. put you in a box. Yeah. yeah. And so instead of that, I just kind of, I just kind of identified my gift of teaching by just simply doing it. I just mm-hmm. jumped in it and it's like, man, this fits, you know, mm-hmm. this really fits. My guitar hangs on the wall now, and uh, yeah. I've got other people singing some of my songs, but, you know, teaching yeah. and writing content is my thing. Well, and and I would say, too, to make maybe maybe clarify the question would be, you know, I know there are teachers who maybe don't necessarily 
consider discipleship as their niche kind of swim lane. But that has been a thing that you've really built some some significant foundation around and and changed lives for countless men like just discipleship just was kind of always a passion for you or you just were like you know this is a biblical principle in order to mm-hmm. do this right we got to get other guys involved in, and grow other guys too and that just sort of by default happened yeah so that's a great question and i was talking about this just two days ago uh there there was a a, a senior adult lady who was in the audience and she said i know i'm I, I've met, I met you before. There can't be another tears in the world. And I said, I think I'm one of the few. She said, so tell me, you know, what's your history? And we discovered that we were at an event that goes all the way back to this, this youth discipleship leader. His name is Barry St. Clair. And he had this thing called reach out ministries. This was decades ago. And he would teach principles of discipleship to all of these youth pastor type people. Mm-hmm. And his, one of the big things was, don't build your ministry on your personality. He says, you'll run out of tricks in about, you know, 12 to 18 months, and then you'll move on to another church. He said, Mm -hmm. you got to find some other people to disciple them, and then they're discipling others. And so uh, it was like, wow, that makes sense. And so back when I was a, a student pastor, I'm influenced by these just principles of sustainable student ministry, and it's discipleship. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I just prayed God would send me some people to train and then I could set them loose to train others. And so when I left my my church position as a student pastor, the ministry kept going because it wasn't built on me. And so to me, that's one of the biggest compliments that you've done your job yeah. when you can walk away and they, they don't crash and burn. Uh, and so uh, when I came to uh, Willis Church, I realized, okay, same principles as a student pastor. It's just now we're going to apply it to adults. You know, that's great. Uh, and so, whenever I'm speaking for events or writing content, in the in in my head and in the content is how can I present this in a way that's going to motivate people to mm-hmm. want to dig in personally and in community with other people. You know, that's always the goal. Wow. Yeah. And I mean. That was the model Jesus used, obviously, and uh, teach a man to fish, right? Uh, mm-hmm. you, yeah. you just, and then it, it multiplies exponential multiplication. I, I mean, it's great. Um, and, and I think, too, because I think a lot of churches are, are more, and generally speaking, but more focused on butts and seats and hands raised, right? Decisions mm-hmm. made, which is great. That's all great. That's, putting the seed in the soil. That's, that's great, but it's, it's not where it ends. And I think where we lose a lot of guys, you know, as we get them saved and then there's, then what, right. They, there's nowhere for them to go to grow and they're searching, right. They're still drinking the milk, but they're searching for a little bit of meat and they're searching for that next step. And so to have people do life with them and to have people, groups to community to, to kind of go through curriculum and, and enhance their spiritual strength. That's where we, that's where this thing grows more legs, right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and yeah. So, that, so, so back, go ahead, go ahead. Back, back to okay. So our days at, at uh, Fellowship of Willens Willens Church, my early leadership team when we were mapping out, you know, uh, an idea for what we call the quest. I asked my guys. I said, "How are we going to define success?" Well, because this is a church, so it was all about casting a big net and getting a whole yeah. lot of people to come to an event. They said, well, we want to see X number of guys. And I said, well, me too. It's got to be more than that. And they said, what are you looking for? And I said, well, after we've done this for a few years, I want to hear from the wives that they've got a different version of their husbands. Wow. I want to see uh, names of men who've been in the room with us on list of volunteers in our junior high and high school ministries. Wow. I want to see names of men on the list uh, who are have this entrepreneurial spirit, who are who are making a difference in our local and global missions. And so, in other words, it's got to be more than, as you said, butts and seats. Mm-hmm. That's great, man. Numbers are, you know, they yeah. they're people. But if the if if they're not being mobilized to go beyond the event, we're not you know, it's not a success. John, I remember standing on the stage after we'd been doing the quest for a few years 
and seeing the room packed with men. And uh, I mean, you know, that warms any pastor's heart. It's like, this is awesome. Look at how many guys came to hear me speak. But I remember saying, guys, I love seeing hundreds of you in the room. However, I'd rather see half as many of you in the room and hear about twice as many of you leading groups of your own out in the community. And it was almost as if they were waiting on me to give them permission. And I started hearing about guys that were leading groups of their own at like Spring Creek Barbecue yeah. or on their patio or yeah. do Music Cafe. And yeah. I would just I would just pop in every now and then to do a quality control check or really just sure. to say, hey, they, they didn't ask my permission. They just took it and ran with it. And I thought, okay, that's the goal. That is. That is how you quantify success. And, and I mean, just by the fruit, what you mentioned earlier, that's powerful about, I want to talk to the wives, you know, I want to see the fruit <laughs> in their children and, and their, the community and how they're out making a footprint. That's, that's the win. I mean, that's great, man. Um, I, I didn't ask you, are you, do you still live down in the Houston area? Are you still in this? Yeah, area? man. S- same house since 2006. Okay, cool. So I left Woodlands church to be a part of a church plant that was meeting in a warehouse at the time I was there for five years but five years ago this month, I pushed away from the, the dock and got in a, a, a new boat to be a free agent. And I'm back to speaking for events and writing content and uh, coaching guys around the world who are using uh, 33 and the, the other resources that, uh, that I'm writing. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's awesome. And, and maybe that's, I don't know if that was a vision you kind of saw and cast for yourself on a long-term plan, or if this just kind of evolved because of the success you had, you know, on the ground doing those things in person, those, those speaking uh, or the teaching at the churches. Uh, but that's, that's awesome, man. I think that's right up your out. I mean, you got to wake up every morning just charged up, like, cause you know, you're doing what you were called and put here to do. Are you not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, you know, that, that's the whole thing is finding your sweet spot and, and just kind of stepping into the middle of it. And, of course. And mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's 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 put a bow on this on a couple of leadership questions, just leadership in general. And hopefully it's not redundant. We've talked about a lot of stuff here. But um, do you do you find that is there a uh, are we misdefining servant leadership aggregately? I mean, because servant and leadership sometimes if people are, I, let's just call it ignorant, feel like that's a, there's a dichotomy there or those are at odds with each other. And we all know that that's not the case, but give me your best idea or definition of what you think servant leadership really is and, and maybe how, how you've sort of walked it out in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Again, our model is Jesus, but it's always yeah. great when, when you see someone give you a clear picture of it. And so I had several people early on as, as a follower of Jesus that just, man, they just modeled it for me. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, one man who was pastor of the church I attended in uh, Nashville. And uh, he was a, he was a great speaker, very personable. Uh, he was the same on stage or off stage. Uh, he was just very winsome. Uh, he wasn't like a uh, on the stage showing off, you know, it, it was like, you just felt like I'm, I'm just kind of having a conversation with him, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, he would say some of the hardest things typically though, with a smile on his face, <laughs> it's like, you know, we're listening and I'm saying to my buddies, I like, man, this hurts so good, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and to me, it's like, okay, well that's servant leadership. Now the, the flip side of that, the overcorrection, some guy who's just angry, you know, and just beating you to death, you know, mm. some people, for whatever reason, think that's, that's what God wants us to be. And I'm thinking, no, man, that is so destructive. That is not Jesus. I mean, because uh, Jesus is described in John chapter one, it says he was full of grace and truth. It says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Mm-hmm. So a servant leader, um, you know, sounds like how can the two fit? Grace and truth. Yeah. Well, you don't have to switch off grace to access truth. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to switch off truth to access grace. Now, it may look differently in different circumstances. You you may if you if you may lead with grace a little bit more, but grace and truth is always going to be there. Yeah. You know, some sometimes we we have to draw the line and reel somebody in. But even in doing that and, and speaking the truth. There's still grace right there, you know, and you see that with 
you know, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it's like the truth is we're sinners, but grace, Christ died for us. So servant leadership, you don't have to switch off one to access the other. That's good, man. so some people, you know, some people say that, you know, a strong leader is is a good leader. And I think eh, strong leadership is not always good leadership. Hitler was a strong leader. <laughs> that's true. And then some people say, well, servant leadership, that's not good, good leadership. I said, servant leadership, you know, is not bad leadership. Jesus was a servant leader. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you got to find that wonderful balance. Yeah, yeah, and he was all, you know, 100% of each of those. It wasn't 50% tr- truth and 50% grace, right? It was 100% of each. And and so I think like you said, you said it perfect. You can't turn one off to have the other. It's not about that. It's about having that simultaneously and and knowing when to maybe throttle one and maybe lay back on the uh, and kind of, you know, balance yeah. those. But uh no, that's good because you hear a lot in the masculinity circles about tip of the spear. Right. And, and we do, we, mm-hmm. we are called to be both. So, but we're also mm-hmm. called as servant leaders, I think is to empower people. And I think discipleship is a great picture of that because, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you could be out dragging all these guys behind you and, and living this life and doing life and teaching. Right. But to step back and go, okay, now you're equipped. Now you yeah. go do this, right? And and yeah. so I think that's really a picture of that. And I don't know why we get so we muddy the waters. I think sometimes when we try to, like you said before, perfectly overcorrect. Um, yeah. Hey man, John, you know you yeah. know what happens. You know what happens when a guy gets so uh, arrogant about being the tip of the spear. You know what happens? Everybody else gets the shaft. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I didn't see that coming, and we did not rehearse that, <laughs> listeners. I promise you that was not coordinated, but that was perfect. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, man, I guess b- before we get to where to go to get your resources, how to contact you, how to hire you to coach possibly, um, give me one couple, maybe a couple sentences. Give me a th- thorough thought behind how men walk away better leaders today than when they came on here to listen. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, uh, authentic manhood begins with an authentic relationship with Jesus. Mm. Uh, I have had too many conversations with guys who aren't, aren't sure about their relationship with God. They just know that they need help being a man. Mm-hmm. They go to some study or some conference and they take notes about it. Well, I need to do these three or five things and they try to self-improve, you know, well, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's just going to frustrate you because mm-hmm. manhood as God designed us to experience can never be experienced apart from an authentic relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And so just when you're home alone in the dark, ask yourself the question, have I ever truly put my faith in Jesus? Mm-hmm. Have, you know, you might say, well, yeah, I believe in him. You know, I acknowledge God, you know, exists. But if you ever come to the place and said, man, my only hope is him. I am a sinner. He died for my sins. And, you know, he rose from the dead, but that still ain't enough. Yeah. You got to come to the place where you say, you know what? And I am I am trusting in him and him alone to say yeah. uh, to that person. Scripture says he gives the right to be called a child of God. Uh, and if you've never experienced that, you'll never be an authentic man. Uh, but authentic manhood starts in an authentic relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. It continues by daily denying yourself and following him. In, in 33, we call it the paradox principle. Mm-hmm. It's where Jesus says, I think Luke chapter nine, uh, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. And then there's that word daily mm-hmm. and follow me. So there's not like a one and done kind of thing experience here. We know salvation is once and done for all time, yeah. but discipleship daily. All right. So not weekly, not by annually, but <laughs> daily. We, we realize, man, my only hope is him today. I'm going to die to myself today. I'm going to follow him. Radar up. God, teach me, use mm-hmm. me. Uh, and that way, when you mess up, instead of running away from God, you run to him. Because you've, you've learned that's the only way I can say, you know, become the man God's designed to be is in proper alignment, you know. With yeah. Him. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and guys that had a poor 
or a non-existent example of a heavenly mm-hmm. father are less likely, right, to come to the throne boldly yeah. of grace and and really understand how to comprehend that there's really a God that washes that away and isn't looking to stomp you or to point out all your failures. He's actually looking mm-hmm. for you to submit and follow, you know, follow him and and then lay down your lay down your sins, lay down your burdens. He tells us to take his yoke upon him. You know, his burden's light. And so he wants us to come. Mm-hmm. And we don't always grasp that if they ha- if we had a real disciplinarian, right? A real hard, mm-hmm. even maybe toxically masculine mm-hmm. father, we're less likely to receive Christ as that kind of tender, gracious, merciful mm-hmm forgiving God, but he is that. And, and read about it. You'll, you'll see what he is. I mean, you'll, (laughs) to know him, you got to get near him and to get near him, you got to read about him and to get in his word. And so thank you for that. Tell us where your resources are and, and there's a lot of them and, and talk a little bit about your media company as well. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, so five years ago, I launched what's called the Authentic Manhood Initiative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, the content we created, 33, comes under the banner Authentic Manhood. So it's kind of a partnership. I don't work for them, but I coach a lot of men around the world, uh, you know, uh, virtually and a lot mm-hmm. of men in this country face to face on how to take these tools because they're great tools. But if you don't know how to use a hammer or a power drill, you can really hurt some people you know? and so, right. or be disappointed in whatever you're trying to make. And so mm-hmm. how do you take these tools and, and really use them effectively? Uh, and so if you go to AuthenticManhoodInitiative.com, and uh, that'll take you to my site, and th- th- that, that's a place you can connect with me. Uh, there are also four training videos, real short videos on, called 33, 33 the series, 33, what it is and how to use it. And so um, start there. And then if there's anything else you need to know, just reach out to me. I'm having conversations all the time, email, text, phone calls, face-to-face to help guys with that. So that's the first thing. Uh, then 18 months ago, uh, I uh, actually know, man, is during COVID and everything shut down and I wasn't speaking anywhere, everything canceled. I thought, well, I'm just going to write some content. And uh, and then I thought, well, how am I going to get it out there? And I thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to put it on an app. And the app is called Good Feed, Good Feed Media, you know. Uh, And so you can learn more goodfeedmedia.com. You can download it, uh, you know, the uh, Apple Apple Store, Google, Amazon, uh, you know, wherever. Uh, I I thought, well, okay, I want to put it out there. My advisor said, how are we going to monetize this? I said, oh, I don't know. I think I'm just going to give it away. And so the app is free. The content is free. No obligation to pay anything, just the opportunity to pay it for it if you want to. So right now we've got about 1,600 people in 18 months who've downloaded it, over 40,000 views, which is pretty awesome. Uh, There's some multi-session series on there, some for men, uh, some for men and women. I partner with people like John Eldridge, Wild at Heart. We've got seven sessions from him. His wife, stacy has got seven sessions for, for women. Wow. Uh, Paul Tripp worked with us on uh, A Man and His Marriage in 33, and he's got these five-minute videos on, on the gospel, one book at a time, the gospel, one proverb at a time. Mm. There's worship songs, new worship songs. There's stories. I mean, it's packed with stuff. And so, yeah. man, download it and yeah. share it freely. Yeah, no, it is. And and I saw something too on, I don't know if it was YouTube or you did something, I believe it was nine ways. It was about parenting and I can't, I'm going to miss. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Eight for the road. Was it eight for the row. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I invented that ninth one. Uh, but no, that was great. <laughs> but that, that was, a that was powerful. I sat in my car on my lunch hour and watched that. And brother, that was, that was serious. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. So, yeah. That, that started, I was going to, I was going to write uh, about three or three to five things just for our daughter. I have an 18 year old daughter just started her freshman year of college. So I was just going to do something for me to her. And as I started writing, it's like, eh, the world needs to hear this. And so five turned into eight. Yeah. And so I did a video and there's a, a PDF that, that is interactive. And so all of yeah. that's on good feed media. It's really easy to find. 
okay. there and you can share it. Uh, but yeah, it's really good, good stuff. Good conversation starters between fathers and sons and daughters or, yeah. you know, parents and kids. It's really good. Good content. Well done. Um, yeah, she was little bitty, I guess the last time I saw <laughs> you, uh, in 2008. So, um, Man, thank you for doing this. I, I know your time is is in high demand, so we really appreciate the audience was blessed. It was good to connect with you again. Uh, are you on social media? Is that a dumb question? Are you active you know, on I, anything? I, I, I am. I don't do a whole lot on Instagram, which I can't believe I haven't done that. Uh, yeah, Facebook, which is really old school. I, I need to get better about Instagram. Uh, okay. Because you know, uh, I don't know if my audience, my, a lot of my audience will want to reach out and, but they can mm-hmm. go to the website and email you. But if they want to reach out, I'll just put tell them Facebook. So, uh, yeah, that sounds ish. old. But uh, I know, I know. Yeah. I but know. it's uh, <laughs> yeah, go, go to the website or tearscreen.com. You know, okay. You can, if you Google me, I'm probably one of the few cheerses in the world. So, uh, yeah, you are. Uh, All right. Yeah. Well, hey, John, you know, I, we live in the same area. Barbecue is one of my love languages. And so call me and let's go eat some. Okay. I think we will. And I've got the perfect place in Tomball for that exact thing. So with that, he's been tear screen. We've been last in line. Be blessed.